Well, it's a great privilege to stand before you this morning and bring you the Word of God. If you can turn to the book of 2 Timothy, Paul's second letter to Timothy, and we'll be in this um, book this morning. Uh, I've been doing a lot of thinking the last several months as I knew the state was approaching on what I would preach on. And I would say over the last year, there's been a passage that's, in my, that's been in my heart that I've wanted to preach uh, from the book of John, but just as the day grew closer, I was like, ah, oh, I just can't bring myself in light of the hour to preach from that passage in John. That's coming at a future date, um, maybe next year, whenever that might be. Um, so let me read what Jude wrote, 2000, so not from Second Timothy, but Jude, and this is kind of in the spirit of what I'm thinking on this morning. This is what Jude wrote, the brother of Jesus, 2,000 years ago. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I wanted to write to you guys about the glorious salvation that we share in Christ. He said, I couldn't. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And it's in that spirit that I come to you this morning. I want to exalt Christ and, and there is a time to just focus on the salvation that he brings us, but there is also a time to challenge us, to exhort you, to urge you by the authority of the word of God to contend for Christ, to fight for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, the faith that you and I hold so dear and precious. So my main point for this morning is the title for the message, and it's this. Christian, you must fight. Every Christian, every believer, every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ must fight. Let me read these words from Winston Churchill. This was from a speech that he gave to the House of Commons on March 24th, 1938. Just one year before, Hitler, leading a rearmed Germany had already seized the Rhineland. He now was demanding the Sudetenland, which at that point belonged to Czechoslovakia. Churchill saw the writing on the wall, right? That this was just another step towards Hitler's ambition of total European domination. The House of Commons, the powers that be in Britain, wanted peace when there was no peace. Britain didn't want to fight. There was no fighting spirit in them, even when presented with overwhelming evidence to the contrary, that there was no peace. Listen to Churchill. If we do not stand up to the dictators now, we shall only prepare the day when we shall have to stand up to them under far more adverse conditions. I have watched this famous island descending incontinently, fecklessly. Now is the time at last to rouse the nation. Perhaps it is the last time it can be roused with a chance of preventing war or with a chance of coming through to victory should our efforts to prevent war fail. 
We should lay aside every hindrance and endeavor by uniting the whole force and spirit of our people to rise again a great British nation standing up before all the world for such a nation rising in its ancient vigor can even at this hour save civilization. His words then went unheeded. And it almost, it nearly cost Britain her very existence. But Britain eventually awakened from her slumber and faced and fought and eventually defeated Hitler's Germany. But it came at a terrible, terrible cost to British lives. Brothers and sisters, we are in a battle, are we not? You know this. You know this now more than ever before. Satan rages against the church. He is the father of lies. He hates the truth. He has declared war on the truth. And we see that before our very eyes. And the church, we the church, have been commissioned and called by Christ to safeguard it, to proclaim it, to defend it at all costs. This is our charge. This is your charge. Christian, you must fight. You must take the sword of the Spirit. You must follow your Savior to battle, and you must fight. And this was precisely Paul's message to Timothy in Paul's final letter to him. Paul wrote from a Roman dungeon awaiting execution, and at this point, Nero had gone mad. Christians were his scapegoat, his target. Paul was sentenced to death. And he would soon be beheaded for his faith in Christ. His death rate, his coming death rate was 100%. But as you read the book of 2 Timothy, and I would ask you this week sometime to read the book of 2 Timothy, his tone is not that of fear, but of faith, of triumphant, victorious faith, as Brother Art reminded us last week. This world has been brought to its knees by the possibility of death. Why? Because this world is all they have. So they will claw and grasp and gasp to hold on to this world, to hold on to this life with all their might because they are without Christ. But that wasn't Paul's attitude. His attitude was, to live is Christ. And you fill in the rest. To die is gain. Death wasn't the end. In, in fact, Paul gained in death. He would be entering the presence of his Savior soon. But he wasn't done yet. 
he had marching orders to give to Timothy. Timothy must fight because Paul's fight was drawing to an end. And beloved, I I want you to hear Paul's words to Timothy as if he was speaking to you. We'll look at three reasons Paul gives us to fight the fight of faith. The first reason, we must realize our entrustment. Realize your entrustment. Chapter 1, verse 10, in the middle there, Paul says this, Christ Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. Which is why I suffer as I do. But, but, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been, and here it is, entrusted to me. In other words, Timothy, Jesus saved me. He saved me. He took me when I was headed to hell, turned my life around, transformed me, gave me faith in him, saved me by the glory of the gospel, the blood-purchased gospel. And then, he entrusted that gospel to me. And he appointed me a preacher, an apostle, and teacher of this precious gospel, Timothy. And I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. I have not been ashamed to declare this gospel until my very last breath. And Timothy, chapter four, verse six and seven. Timothy, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I'm leaving. My fight is done. It's your turn now. So Timothy, back to chapter 1, verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Timothy, protect the gospel. Guard it. Defend it. Give your life for it. The gospel is the good deposit. It's it's glorious, Timothy. It's infinitely glorious and valuable. Give your life for this cause. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by your own strength, not by your own intellect, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, defend it. Now, church family, hear me now. You and I have that same entrustment. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. 
and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and here it is, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So you see how that entrustment didn't just end with Paul. It didn't just end with Timothy. It has been entrusted to the church, the pillar and the support of truth. Now I want you to think now about who it was that shared the gospel with you. You are here this morning or you are listening this morning because of the faithfulness of generations of Christians, many of whom paid for their faithfulness with their own blood. The gospel has come to you today because of the faithfulness of others. Now, it's your turn. It's our turn. We must not let God's truth die with us. And this is a possibility, is it not? As we read the book of Revelation, the letters to the churches, Christ warned the churches that if they were not faithful, their lamp would be extinguished. And the pages of church history are filled with churches and institutions and seminaries who abandon their charge to safeguard the truth. And because of their faithlessness, the glory left. So Christian, you must fight. You must realize your entrustment, the entrustment of the gospel that you have. Will you be faithful with that entrustment? Second, the second reason we must fight is that we must recognize the hour. We must recognize the hour. Paul understood that the ascension of Jesus, after his resurrection, Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he knew that the ascension of Jesus ushered in an age known as the last days. Now the last days can be long, right? We've been 2,000 years following the ascension of Christ. And Christ can come at any moment. I think that's what the apostles mean by the last days, that there is nothing that needs to happen in terms of the redemptive calendar before Christ can return. Christ can return today. And, and Timothy needed to understand the severity of the hour. He needed to understand that he was living in the last days. And that understanding would give him focus, a laser-like focus on preaching Christ. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Paul says this, but understand this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, 
disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now family, as I, as I read this, as I read these four verses this week, this is our age, is it not? This characterizes our time, does it not? And I pray that in the providence of God, that what this world means for evil, God will use for good. That the, the escalation of evil in our day would serve to awaken the church to fight. Because we live in a, in a wicked and evil age and the necessity for the church to proclaim Christ all the louder is even more. They say that hot water, right, hot water draws out what's really inside the tea bag. Now, these last couple months, there's been hot water. And it's drawn out, manifested the depravity of our civilization, of our culture, of our nation. And there will be a day of reckoning. Satan, in Genesis 3, came to Eve and said, you can defy God and you will not die. He lied to her. He told her that, he, that she could violate the way that God had created this world and not suffer any consequences. And it was a terrible and terrifying lie that led to her death and catastrophe for this world. This nation thinks that it can sin in high-handed rebellion against its maker without consequence. But there will be a day of reckoning. Allow me to comment on, on several of these things that Paul describes. And, and beloved, I was, I was wrestling with this last night, just thinking about how much to go into this. And these are things that you should be well aware of. And my purpose here is not to cause anger, but sobriety and focus. Focus on Christ. Paul says that in the last days, people will be heartless, proud, arrogant, swollen with conceit. When this pandemic hit, the authorities told us which businesses, which industries were essential and non-essential to society. There was no petition 
There was no vote, just a mandate to close. This decision single-handedly inflicted untold damage on the lives of this people in this country, on the people of this state. Millions were told, your services, what you bring, your vocation is no longer needed. You must close. You are non-essential. Now this was a violation of this world as God intended it to be. Because the scriptures affirm the dignity of all forms of work. What does that decision, what did that decision do to to one's sense of worth, one's dignity and value, right? To be told you are unnecessary. Now that decision epitomized heartlessness. They forced mothers and fathers to choose between obeying these mandates and providing food for their families. That is evil. But you see, this just betrayed and revealed our culture's disdain for work. Because God commands us to to work, to, to steward and care for the creation that he has given us. A society that incentivizes unemployment and laziness is the same one that shuts down businesses with the stroke of a pen. Lovers of money. When the government shut down the economy, relief was coming, they said, for small businesses. Banks were tasked with loaning hundreds of billions of dollars to these businesses that were affected. Except thousands of small businesses didn't get a single dime. Multi-billion dollar companies, universities with billions of dollars in endowments were prioritized. Now, now beloved, when I, when I, just reading through that several months ago, it was sickening to think, right, that money could buy privilege at the expense of the lives of millions. And not only that, but trillions upon trillions of dollars have been created in these last months to fight this pandemic. Friends, where does that money come from? Nowhere. Well, it comes from you and me, right? Because as they inflate the monetary supply in this country, it destroys the purchasing power of hardworking Americans. That's theft. Abusive, unappeasable, brutal, treacherous, reckless. Paul says. A society that celebrates the murder of millions of babies has no moral authority to denounce the taking of life. When the mobs rose up, destroying, killing, robbing, and beating those who stood in their path, the mobs were celebrated and the authorities were 
silent. Law enforcement officers were told to stand down instead of protecting the very lives that they were charged with protecting. Marxism, and, and I do not use that term lightly, Marxism is sweeping through our institutions, our schools, our companies, our government. It is not a theory that is out there, but it is a theory that is right here, is it not? In our everyday lives. When Marxism rises, there is always, always the suppression of all opposing thought, violence, and theft. Always. Slanderous, Paul says. Beloved, a society that abandons truth and will twist truth to fit its agenda is a society that has abandoned the God of truth. You read the scriptures, you read the book of Proverbs. Truth is essential because truth is part of who God is. To be lied to is an assault on trust. Where there is no truth, there is no trust. And where there is no trust, there is no relationship. Through a distortion of truth, our country has been crippled by fear. So much so that when we are out and about, we view our neighbors as threats to us. Keep your space from me, right? Is what we say. And I understand it, right? There is, there is a pandemic and, a, and there is a sense in which there is perhaps a legitimate reason to do that. But the, the motivation for that, the fear that has been caused in the lives of many is doing damage, untold damage. So much so that healthy Healthy family members are unwilling to even see one another because of fear. They lock themselves in their room, their home. They dare not venture out, all because of fear. And, and hear me now, I'm not saying that people shouldn't stay home if they are immune compromised or have reason to stay home. But this fear, is dangerous. Let me say this too. We were told that black lives matter. And the Bible affirms that, does it not? And we as Christians should have no hesitation of saying that all people created in the image of God have value before their creator. Amen and amen. But we were told that in order to affirm the dignity of a black life, that we had to buy into an organization and a movement that seeks to destroy the very foundations of this country. To bring Marxism into this country when, when that would just unleash violence as it already is doing. An organization that seeks to destroy 
the family. When the black community has been devastated by the destruction of the family. We were told that in order to, to value and affirm black lives, we needed to affirm and celebrate the LGBTQ movement. When you look into the history of the LGBTQ movement, that if the civil rights movement, and in people's minds, if those two things were equated to a fight for the, the dignity of minorities and black people, was the same morally as fighting for the dignity of deviant and, and sinful sexual behavior, then they would win. And you know what? They were right. I remember after this whole thing broke out, right, the killing of George Floyd and awful as that was, just going through YouTube wanting to listen to some music or, or sermons. I mean, it's just front page everywhere celebrating black homosexual activity, the queer movement in the black community. Slanderous, right? A culture that denies truth is a culture that has rejected the God of truth. Beloved, these last couple months have exposed what we know to be true, that our nation is in rebellion against God. But beloved, the, the extent of that rebellion is staggering and frightful. And God sees. And I believe there is a day of reckoning coming. As the apostle says, we live in the last days. And again, I remind you of these realities not to anger you, but to cause you to fear, but to bring focus and sobriety. That was Paul's intent. And you, and you read those list of sins, and it is detailed and specific. Timothy must recognize the hour that the days were evil, that he must fight for Christ. Christian, you must fight. You must realize your entrustment. You must recognize the hour. And finally, you must ready your sword. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. In light of the seriousness, the severity of the hour, what must we do, Christian. What is our charge? What is our task? We must preach Christ. We must tell the world of the Savior who redeems them from this evil age. Now, I'm not going to touch here on the Christian civic Responsibility. I believe that every Christian does have a civic responsibility to do good to their neighbor. We're not hermits, right? We want a just and fair society. And individually, God calls us to differing levels of civic involvement depending on 
our calling and our sphere of influence. But first and foremost, first and foremost, every Christian is called to proclaim Christ above all else. Chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn, us, turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now, Christians throughout this, the centuries, throughout the millennia, have known that our primary sword is not the physical sword, but the sword of the Spirit. We must preach Christ. And we must not stop preaching Christ. And in this time period, in these evil days, we have special opportunities, unique opportunities to preach Christ. To those who have been financially defrauded, who have lost everything, we must tell them of the riches of Christ. To those who are held captive by fear, imprisoned at home, we must tell them of Christ who removes all reason for fear. To the sick, we must tell them of the one who is coming, who will give them a glorious body, free from all infirmity and disease and illness. To those who have felt betrayed by our justice system, we must tell them of the one who is holy, just, and true. We must tell them of the God who is coming, who will give out perfect justice because he sees and he knows. And we must tell them that we are justly deserving of God's wrath. It's not justice for those people out there. No, no, no. If I were to receive justice, I would be consumed along with them. But then we tell them of the one who satisfied the just and righteous anger of God. To those who are angry and filled with bitterness, we tell them of the grace of God. That apart from the grace of God, so you would be too. And we are not motivated by anger or hatred, 
or malice, even in the face of unspeakable evil. As Christ said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 2 Timothy 2.24. Paul says this. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Brothers and sisters, we know that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Those who are in sin are held captive by Satan. And God must grant them repentance. So we patiently endure evil. We we speak the truth in love. We show kindness to all. When wronged, we love in return. We do good to all as a testimony of the God who has been good to us. Now allow me to be more pointed, if I may. Men, fathers, and husbands, how can you fight for Christ? You must lead your families. You must stand before them and be an example of Christ to them. You must read the scriptures with your wife, with your children. That is your charge. Now, fathers, I have heard from more than one of you how refreshing this time has been. When so much of life has been taken away and you've been given so much time with your family to read the word of God with them, to build relationships with them, to invest in their lives, to have family worship. I would challenge you, as society opens up again and those activities become available to you again, will you so quickly fill your lives with that which took away time from your families? We live our lives so full, right? Go to work, come home, off to practice in this event, in this extracurricular activity. We don't even have time to sit down for a meal with each other, right? So I would challenge you, men. Lead your families well. You cannot love your family if you are not spending time with them. You must fight to win the souls of your children and of your wife. Now, some men, I would include myself in this, through the stupidity of negligence, right? We lose the hearts of our spouses and of our children. And there's a bitterness that grows, a distance that grows. And when we try to speak to them of Christ, There isn't relationship. The relationship has gone cold. So I would challenge you men. You can regain that which you have lost. Fight to win 
the souls of your children and of your wife because their souls are at stake. Young men, become a man of God. Fight the fight of faith by giving yourself to the word of God. Discipline yourself in the study of scripture. For as you know scripture, so you will be a good soldier and a servant of the Savior. Women and, and mothers, you're not off the hook here either. Train your children. Look at the example of Timothy, right? Who taught Timothy the scriptures? His mother and his grandmother. Mothers, you wield tremendous influence over the hearts of your children. You bind their wounds, right? you feed them, you cry with them. You have a special place in their hearts. You are in their hearts. So fill their hearts with God's word. If you are a single mother, or you are married to an unbeliever, right? know this. Many godly women have journeyed that lonely and hard journey before you. But God's grace is sufficient. Think about the example of Timothy. His father was an unbeliever. And the word of God faithfully ministered to Timothy by his mother and grandmother was more than powerful to fill the void that his father had left. Your example of faith and of trust in God can make an indelible, a powerful impact on their souls. All of us, Every single one of us in this room, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, can be silent no more. We must all take the message of Christ to our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our children, our spouses. We must not be silent. May God grant us the boldness to proclaim Christ. We must not be in a defensive posture, always reacting to this world, but we must fight back against the darkness. We must go on the offensive with the message of Christ. What will push back the darkness? The light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. This church, Foothill Bible Church, must continue to send missionaries and church planters and preachers and gospel workers, that's you guys, into the world to proclaim Christ. We are waging a war, are we not? We fight by the Spirit of God with the Word of God. And by God's grace, we will stand. We will run our race. We will be faithful with our entrustment. The world will rage. 
but we will proclaim Christ all the more. The world will try to silence us in the marketplace. We will only preach louder. By the strength of Christ, we will lift high the truth of Jesus Christ, no matter the cost. And the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. Christ calls you to the battle lines. Christian, you must fight. Let's pray. Father, we are weak. We are without strength. And we are fearful apart from you. Father, give us the courage and the boldness and the strength that only you can. Father, may the gospel become a fire in our bones that we cannot hold in. Grant us the grace to be faithful. We want to run our race well. So help us to fight for Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.